Worshipful brethren, brethren all, welcome to Freemasonry in seven minutes or less. In this episode, we will be discussing the Brazen Serpent. Whilst visiting the church up the road from my dad's pub in the medieval village of Dunster in Somerset, I was drawn to a particularly large and impressive painting. The scene was that of Numbers 21, where Moses had raised a brazen serpent upon a pole. This was to alleviate the suffering of the Israelites who had been attacked by venomous serpents in the desert. In the King James Version, verses 6 to 9 reads, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, this is very interesting reading, but it gets even more interesting when you read in the Hebrew. The words from which fiery serpents was translated is ha- Hanashim HaSeraphim. This is strange as the word seraphim is probably recognized by listeners as a plural form of an order of angelic beings. So what is going on here? Interestingly, we have another an- anomaly in translation in verse 9. The King James Version reads a serpent of brass, and in the Hebrew, it reads as nahash, nahashet, almost as if the word for the brass has the root for the word serpent. What what does this mean? Does it have any significance? Consulting the great Rashi on the subject, he strangely isn't much clearer, unfortunately, as he says one term is similar to the other, and that's all he has to say. But there's two linguistic intrigues in three verses, and this calls for a closer examination. Whilst they have very meagre Hebrew knowledge, despite the best efforts of our man over at Hebrew for Masons, I can see that there is a need for further examination. Instinctively, when I think of a brazen object, I think of the molten sea at the front of the temple. And when I think of the serpent on the pole, I think not only of the rod of Asclepius, which is associated with healing, as per the scene in Numbers, but in times closer to our own, the hieroglyphic keys of Nicholas Flamel, which quite distinctly portrays a serpent on a cross in a woodcut. As this is an alchemical text, does this hint that it's an alchemical process? Well, on a slight tangent but related topic, an article from Haaretz newspaper had the headline, Jewish God Yahweh originated in Canaanite Vulcan, says new theory. And it had the summary line of, the cult of Yahweh as God of metallurgy originated among semi-nomadic copper smelters between the Bronze and Iron Age, suggests biblical scholar. And he was not worshipped only by Jews. The article examines the idea that Yahweh was at the time cross-cultural and was linked to metallurgical processes and knowledge. Evidence from several inscriptions from a copper mine dedicated to the Egyptian goddess Hathor in Timna that had been decimated by the new users. Uh, But what is interesting here is that there were several bronze serpents found at the site, which leads me to the question that does this metallurgical, uh, metallurgical knowledge indicate a particular alchemical knowledge? Is this the meaning of raising the serpent in the desert? As I've heard more into speculatory rhetoric, I now ask you your opinion on the topic, Brother Earnshaw. Do you see the raising of the brazen serpent in the desert as a veiled hint in our chemical process? Um, It's a difficult question. Um, 
because in Europe, alchemy was often used to create medicines. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, uh, snake venom is an extremely important um, source of new drugs in the pharmaceutical industry. And um, there are people who raise snakes just to take their venom because it is so expensive. You know, the, we're talking about thousands of dollars for a, a fluid ounce. You know, so it's interesting. Something that to us is uh, a predator and that can kill us, but also can heal us. Mm-hmm. And this reminds me of uh, Edgar Casey, who. Um, uh may made a certain type of oil um the name escapes me i don't know why it does but the, the name escapes me and the shell of the oil is one of the most powerful poisons known to man but the the kernel inside the shell is um uh, a great medicine when it's made into an oil and um so it's interesting how sometimes the uh, what is a predator can also be our savior. And that's a ph- philosophical question there. Um, also, you talked about the serpent, bronze serpent. Mm. In later dates, that is the, the basis of the caduceus. Uh, the caduceus yeah. is the cross. Well, it's not a cross, but it's, uh, it's a pole with a crossbar on it and has two snakes on it. That's it. Uh, Representing either the double helix or other things that people have talked about, but it's the sign of medicine. Yes. (laughs) And so doctors have this, particularly when I was uh, serving as an assistant corpsman in the Navy, U.S. Navy, they gave me this to put on my lapel. I still have it somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, um, it's uh, interesting that um, <clears throat> when we think about the the uh, the excess of snakes, reminds me of the the ten biblical curses in Exodus mm-hmm. uh, when the firstborn were died. Of, first, I think the, the the Nile went red, and then there was a surfeit of frogs and surfeit of insects, and then the children started dying. Uh, This sounds like that sort of plague. Mm. Um, So, um, but an alchemical process, uh, yes. Only I can think of it as as an alchemical process to make medicine. Um, Yeah. I don't know if um, in your pub, if your, your father sells uh, Benedictine, the liqueur. Um, probably. Yes, probably. probably. It's, it's one of these famous liqueurs. Benedictine was made by Benedictine monks yes. who used um, alchemy to, to make alcohol. And, um, Interesting. Yes, yeah, so that's not everybody was looking for gold <laughs> using mm. alchemy. Mm. Um, um, I think my my it's so hot in Tokyo. My brain is failing me. <laughs> yes. Sorry about that. It's interesting that the link between the caduceus and and medicine because um, it it's not really a Greek origin. The caduceus it has its one of the earliest forms that has been found depicted in is on on Tanit Tanit inscriptions where she holds two snakes. And um, interestingly, there was a paper written by um, oh, what was the guy's name? Um, 
he wrote a paper called The Iniquity of the Amorites, in which they've discovered a libation point, a high place. Um, I can't know where it is, around Megiddo, I, I believe. But mm. they found bronze serpents there as well. They're very, very similar to the bronze serpents that were found at the at the temple in uh, the Hathor mine in Timna. So the serpent depiction and the Caduceus as well, it, it also has links to Medusa, the Medusa mm. Gorgons. Uh, yes. Yeah. The one one side was used to heal, and the other one was used to poison. Mm. Well, so, so. as you mentioned, you know, poison can also be medicine Absolutely. if it's used in the right and uh, if it's used in the right dosage, which is yes. important. Yes, and yes. Um, that then connects to um, homeopathy, for example. Yeah, where yeah. you only need one drop of a poison diluted a thousand times mm. to become a medicine for somebody. Um, and we took in Egypt, for example, uh, Egypt, the time of the two kingdoms, the upper Egypt and the lower Egypt, the sign of the cobra was represented yes. one of these kingdoms. And it was on the pharaoh's the crown. Um, crown. That's it. Yeah. It had, uh, was it a vulture or an eagle? I'm not quite sure. But one of them was a cobra. Yeah, that's so it. I, I think, think it was, it was very respected in the time of, of the ancient Egypt. Yeah, well. they, they had a, they had a red cobra as well in Egypt. It's very very interesting. It's um, it's but in looking east again, you, you do have the the raising of the serpent, the twin serpents with the with the Kundalini, energy, yes, which is yes. A, which is yeah. obvious obvious alchemical applications. I'm not saying that, that connects to the connects to to the Caduceus. Uh, absolutely, the Caduceus. yeah, yes, and, and when they cross. Where the two cross, they cross are probably chakras. This this is kind of the reason. Yeah, that's where I'm going, but I don't want to say <laughs> it distinctly because I think it's a it's too much speculation. But it's something I was thinking about the other day. Uh, oh, Galen's got some very interesting things to say as well. That's particularly Galen's bridal chamber. If you if you ever research that, if if you do want to understand the medical applications of alchemical theory, read Galen. Mm. Galen's got some incredible things to say. And um, the descent of ambrosia, the, the circulation of the um, and the ambrosia nectar and the bridal chamber in the brain. That's some well, that's exactly what I talk about in my book, um, Royal Arch, because the Chinese were doing the same thing, <laughs> same thing with um, circulating the chi energy and yes. uh, making it stronger. So the ambrosia, the the, the sweet the sweet uh, juice, we yeah. would in masonry call it the Jew. Um, yes, the, yes, I mean, Jew like liquid Jew, and then the Chinese call it chi energy, and they were mm. circulating it, and it was to meet in, in a cauldron. That's and it. When it met in the cauldron, then they raised it up into the brain, there you go. and then the, then the spirit was able to uh, leave their body. Interesting uh, phenomena as well is, um, is they didn't really understand the, the theory of sperm. And Galen mm. didn't really understand the theory of sperm, so they used to believe that the the seed of man was held in the brain, where the intelligence yeah. was kept, and it would descend down into the testes. And um, that fluid there, which is, which is called ambrosia, the cerebral spinal fluid, or whatever whatever you want to call it, uh, that's the reason the sperm whale is called a sperm whale because of the large depository of the 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 fluid in, in the head of a sperm whale was considered to by the primitive scientists at the time. To be, it's um, it's it's sperm. It, it's and it was actually CSF. <laughs> I, I'm That's not sure what it is. Yeah. Spinal fluid, yeah. something like this. But it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> that that's why a sperm whale is called a sperm whale. Mm. Thanks to so game. It wasn't it wasn't a randy old fish. <laughs> <most> <laughs> <I wasn't> <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> 
around the old whale. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, too many, too many puns we could make there, but yeah, I think we'll leave it there. Yep. And uh, that just about draws this episode to a close. If you have any questions, please email us on the link below. We're now part on the square and we'll meet soon. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.